Psalm 23, 1 through 3, Psalm 5, 7 and 8, and Matthew 5, 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in awe of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The word of the Lord. Well, during these weeks of Lent, we've been um, focusing our attention and our preaching life on Psalm 23, looking at it line by line and looking at some other texts to help flesh, flesh it out the meaning of each of the lines of the psalm. Um, this is arguably the most famous prayer in the Bible and perhaps in all of Western culture, Psalm 23. And it's a psalm of, of comfort. It's intended to give us comfort in our uh, wandering sojourn here on this earth, but it's not just a, a psalm of comfort. It also is meant to teach us something. It, its message goes beyond comfort. It teaches us to look at the world that we live in clearly and without any illusions. It doesn't gloss over the difficulties that we would face in our lives, but at the same time, it also invites us to see the world um, as, as a world in which we can live courageously and do good for our ourselves and for others. The world might be a frightening place, the psalmist admits, but it's much less frightening when we know that God is with us and walking with us in the journey. And so even uh, today, um, well, let me just back up for a sec. The psalm doesn't say that if we're good, life will be easy. And, and the psalmist, uh, presumably David, knew this very well from his own life. He had enemies, he had known failure, he had lost people that he loved, and in the process he learned that life was difficult and it's kind of meant to be difficult. Uh, and, and he learned that life is challenging and as he grew stronger with God's help, he met the challenges that he faced and, uh, and, and he grew as a result of those challenges. Here's what Rabbi Harold Kushner says about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 teaches us to look at the world and see it as God would have us see it. If we're anxious, the Psalm gives us courage and we overcome our fears. If we're grieving, it offers comfort and we find our way through the valley of the shadow. If our lives are embittered by unpleasant people, it teaches us how to deal with them. If the world threatens to wear us down, the psalm guides us to replenish our souls. If we're obsessed with what we lack, it teaches us gratitude for what we have. And most of all, if we feel alone and adrift in a friendless world, the psalm offers us the priceless assurance that thou art with me. And so as this psalm comforts us and as it teaches us, we come to this third 
verse in the psalm, this line for today that we're looking at. He leads me in paths of righteousness or he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Sometimes it's translated right paths. Other times it's translated paths of righteousness. And, uh, and we're going to look at this, unpack this a little bit this morning. It strikes me how, how hard we try to get life right and how much pressure we feel to get life right, to walk on the right path. We try to get the right job, to get the right house, the right family, the right spouse, the right body, the right clothes, the right car, the right bike. Sometimes even when we're in the wrong, we try to prove ourselves right. And this all began the moment we came out of the womb and the doctor gave us a grade as to how well our body parts are functioning. Then we go off into school and we're constantly measured by whether or not we get the answers on the test right. As time goes up, we grow up and uh, then we find ourselves wanting to uh, make sure we're right at work, right at home, um, in our political environment. If you're not right, you get canceled. It seems that everywhere we turn, there's this pressure from within and from without to get things right. And at some point, we surrendered our lives to Christ. We received the joy of the gospel and the welcome of the Savior. And then we transferred that same need to get things right into our faith imaginations, such that not only do we have to get our jobs right, our families right, our education right, our appearance right, and our finances right, and our fitness right, but now we have to get our discipleship right. We have to get our moral behavior right. We have to get our doctrines right. We have to get our theology right. We have to get our knowledge of the Bible right. We have to get our daily disciplines right. And this can be exhausting and futile as well. And so when the psalmist says and prays, Lord, you lead me on right paths for the sake of your name, it's helpful to be reminded that this is a psalm of comfort. It's not a psalm that's intended to add more pressure to our already pressured lives. Now here's some religious pressure to add on top of it. Um, fortunately, the text doesn't say he restores my soul and now I better pull myself up by my bootstraps and get back on the right path. No, it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness or in right paths. Life is not a self-guided tour. There's someone who will give me the guidance that I need. And this psalm offers that comfort. Um, you might think that the king of the universe would have something better to do. Uh, but as David claims, that God is committed to being your personal shepherd. But here's the problem. Our text says that he guides me in right paths or in paths of righteousness. And when I think about the word righteous or righteousness, positive connotations don't come to mind. Um, if, if someone is known to be self-righteous, that's not a compliment, right? They're bound up in fundamentalism or in legalistic religion. Um, and when it comes to my own life, some of the things that, that, that I've done and places that I have been could not be considered paths of righteousness. I, I have a hard time thinking that God would lead me on those certain paths. So what exactly does it mean when it says he leads me on paths of righteousness? 
Well, it's not easy to say. On the one hand, the word tzedek for righteous, the Hebrew word for right or righteous or righteousness, um, it can mean moral righteousness, like morality. God leads me to do his moral will so that I become a righteous person by what I do. Or you can look at it in the Pauline sense and you could say, well, um, I, I find the righteousness in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes through faith in him. And in this way, if we look at the text this way, um, it seems as though God then guides us on paths of obedience and faith. But that's not what the context seems to be about with this imagery of quiet waters and green pastures and a valley of shadow of death. Besides, I'm not always obedient. I'm not always, uh, my faith isn't always so strong. David himself um, experienced moral failure and unfaithfulness with Bathsheba. Did God not lead him then on paths of righteousness? Well, another way you can look at this English word, tzedek, righteous, is that it can also mean prosperity or security. And then our text would mean that God doesn't lead me to wander in ways that are difficult. God always leads me on the, on the nice and easy path that is just right, smooth, smooth sailing. But who of us has experienced a life like that? We've all known about rugged and torturous paths that we've had to face in our lives. Does that mean that God, because we experience difficulty, that God is not leading us on the right path? Well, this phrase, right paths, or even straight paths, sometimes it's translated, is this Hebrew phrase when you put the other word next to Zedek, it's Ma'agle Zedek, and it says something much more interesting than the translation would convey. It literally means a roundabout way that leads to the right place. When you put pathway with right, that's what it means in Hebrew. The roundabout way that leads to the right place. Well, where does this come from? Well, it comes from Exodus chapter 13 in the story of the Hebrews when God had sent Moses in to liberate them from the hand of Pharaoh and send them to the promised land. There was a very short and direct route from Egypt to the land of Canaan. It was known as the way of the Philistines. It was a nice easy road. They could have gone straight there as far as the crow flies, but that's not the way God led them. God, no, led them by the roundabout way of the wilderness for 40 years. Why did God do that? Um, because they needed to learn. God led him step by difficult step with his light and his truth. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night on a long circuitous route leading them to where he wanted them to go. He guided them in paths of righteousness. That is in the roundabout way that led to the right place, the place he wanted them to go. Life with God is never a straight line. Why the roundabout path? Why did God lead them on this roundabout, circuitous way through the wilderness? Was it because they had sinned? Well, eventually, yeah, 
um, after about year 10 and the spies went into the land and they came back and they said there's no way we can God cannot do this you know he's not big enough we can't do this and and that extended their trip by another 30 years um, as they continued to wander around so it is undoubtedly true that sometimes we wander into the wilderness because we don't follow our shepherd we get lured by shortcuts and we wander into paths that lead to destruction this is all self-evident we know this from our own experience sometimes our twisted paths are caused by our own mistakes but not always when God first led Israel to the promised land by the roundabout way it wasn't because they had done anything wrong at all he was liberating them and he was setting them free um, it was because they did not have the capacity to take the land and they did not have they have not yet learned how to live in the freedom that God was going to give them God they didn't know all of this but God knew this and so he led them on a roundabout way that was right if not straight that would get them there safely if not easily to their destiny that would be terribly hard but it would prepare them to possess all that God would have them possess in the land of promise. And so their shepherd king guided them in paths of righteousness, though it didn't seem right to them at the time, just as it doesn't seem right to us from time to time in our own lives when we find ourselves in roundabout points on our journey. This is not only true for the Hebrews, but it's actually true for sheep and shepherding as well. Here's what Margaret Feinberg writes about it. Sheep trust each other immensely and in extreme cases have been known to follow each other right off a cliff. Partly this is due to the fact that sheep travel in a straight line, which creates issues when a shepherd calls to sheep across a ditch or a hillside. To prevent the sheep from getting hurt, shepherds will guide their sheep in zigzag patterns down the side of hills. The Israelites recognize that the path of righteousness is the windy one that leads to the right shepherd. The roundabout way or the zigzag way that leads in the right direction. There's a, a story about a traveler who's passing through a small town and he sees a, a young little boy on the side of the road with a lemonade stand and he pulls over and he buys a, a cup of lemonade from the boy and he asks the boy, a question he says is there is there a shortcut to such and such place from here and uh, and the boy said well there's a shortcut that is long and there's a long way that is short and I love that because I can relate to it that that is like my life and and isn't it um, I think we've all experienced um, this sense of trying to take a shortcut, whether it's when driving or in, in life and finding ourselves getting entangled in a mess that we would have done so much better to have avoided. When it comes to our health or our education or forging new personal relationships, we're so often in a hurry to get to where we want to go that we take shortcuts and we end up regretting it from time to time. How often have we said to our doctor or our accountant, isn't there some easier way to accomplish this? And almost inevitably, the doctor or the accountant responds in the same way that the child did to the traveler. Yeah, there is a shortcut, but it will be longer, harder, and more expensive and more painful in the end. 
Only in geometry is, uh, is, is the shortest distance between two points a straight line. Not in life. In life, the shortest distance to our goal may be an indirect roundabout route. Because the straight line, well, it might have landmines um, that we would be good to avoid or hidden traps, or it might just be too easy to never challenge us to discover our strengths or give us time for those strengths to emerge. Our character is only forged in the fire. In the book of uh, Song of Songs, a biblical love poem, the, uh, the, the young woman who's the narrator, she um, she, she challenges her lover um, and warns her lover not to rush things. She says, do not stir up or awaken love until it desires. That is, until the right time. The promising baseball player had success easy all through his life, all through high school and even college, and he goes into the major leagues and he fails, has to drop down into the minor leagues and spend three years there learning how to deal with adversity before he can uh, have a successful career in the majors. A person might go through two or three careers in her lifetime before she discovers what she really wants to do and then will find the experience of those earlier dead ends indispensable for her ultimate success. And so it's important for us, for our spiritual health, to remember to thank God, to give thanks to God for having led us in Ma'agle Zedek, the roundabout way that finally brought us to where we are today. The way David ends this text um, gives us both reason to trust our shepherd, but initially it also gives us some concern about the character of God. It says he guides us in right paths for his name's sake. At first glance, this sort of seems like God is a bit narcissistic, kind of like the great politician who does things only for public opinion and to boost his ratings. He cares for us for the sake of his name, right? And, and some modern translators have such a hard time with this um, and they can't figure out what it means, so they just kind of change the, the wording to say something else. Here's a few examples of other translations um, that try to avoid that his namesake part. One says, he guides me by true paths as he himself is true. Another one says, he guides me in right paths as befits his name. And then another one says, he guides me on the paths of righteousness so that I may serve him with love. Um, they just don't want to say he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake because they don't want God to sound egotistical. After all, aren't we inclined to think less of a person who is generous or serves the church solely for his namesake, for their own reputation? And how do we then attribute that kind of motivation to God? Well, I think we can get a better understanding of what this means by looking at another problematic text in the book of Exodus. Um, and this is when uh, God is gonna send Moses to, uh, to talk to Pharaoh. And it, God tells him, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring the Israelites out of their midst. 
And then the ten, ten plagues follow and Pharaoh uh, agrees each time and then he, to free them and then he changes his mind. And readers, of course, have been troubled by this, right? Why, wh- why would God cause someone to be stubborn and then punish him for his stubbornness? I mean, how cruel and unjust is that? It raises questions about not only God but also about human responsibility and whether we have any free choice in our actions, if Pharaoh couldn't help being cruel and stubborn, if, this, if his being cruel and stubborn was part of God's stage managing the drama, why would he be punished for it? Well, if you look at the text closely, you'll note that for the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and only in the next five plagues does God harden Pharaoh's heart. And the implication is that in the beginning, Pharaoh's decision, though it could have been predicted, was his free choice. He could have set those Israelites free, but he chose not to. And each consecutive time that he made that choice, it became a little bit less of a free choice and a little bit more of a habit and a little bit less of a free choice and a little bit more of a habit until ultimately his heart was hardened and that is who he became, right? And so... Uh, God made the human soul in such a way that when we repeatedly do something, whether good or ill, it becomes part of who we are. You practice generosity little by little by little. You become a generous person of generous spirit. You know people like that. We know people like that. We've seen that. And it's the same thing in the other direction as well. God doesn't have an ego. It's not in it for himself. He cares for us for our sakes, not for his. So then what does it mean then that he leads us in straight paths for his name's sake, that, that he brought Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt in a manner that would reflect glory on him and not on Pharaoh? Well, I think the reason is that when we see the hand of God in the good things that have happened to us, we come to see the world differently. We see it more hopefully. We recognize the sacred dimension of history and of our own lives. If we see the freeing of the Israelites from slavery or if we see even the end of slavery in the United States as the will of God rather than just resulting from human kindness or economic trends, then those who are enslaved today can find hope. They can find hope for freedom because God is permanent while human generosity and kindness is unreliable. If we look at the times in our own lives when events led us in a roundabout path, when disappointment opened up a door to fulfillment, and if we recognize the hand of God guiding us through those roundabout right paths, rather than attributing them to good luck or chance or my own deserving, then we'll be more hopeful and less discouraged by the next disappointment. God leads us on right paths for his name's sake because he loves us and cares about us. How do we respond to this? I think there are two ways we can respond. First, we can give God the benefit of the doubt when our path is zigzagging around. It's been said that patience with people is love and patience with God is faith. Faith doesn't mean believing in God's existence. It means believing in God's reliability, that God can be counted on. 
And so when things are going badly in our lives or when it seems as though evil uh, or human selfishness has the upper hand, we can give God the benefit of the doubt. We can give God the gift of not despairing, not giving up on him. And second, then we can make God look good by the way we live our lives so that others will be inspired to follow and also to receive the joy of the gospel and the gift of faith and hope that we receive when we choose to live by faith. When people see that we're charitable, that we're loving towards one another and others outside, that we work to make our communities more inclusive in the inclusivity of Jesus Christ, we do good and we walk in straight paths for his name's sake. And so when we attach the name of God to the sunrise that comes out after a storm or to the serendipitous development of a vaccine or to the resiliency of the human soul in a season of great fear, it's not a case of God selfishly claiming all the good things for himself. I think it's more like a designer uh, or a manufacturer putting his brand on a fine article of clothing or on an appliance. It's a promise of quality and reliability. Life holds many gifts for us. Sun coming up, friends picking us up when we've fallen, door opening when one has shut. And when we speculate on the paths of our lives and the way that they have gone, and we think back on the good things that God has done in leading us through, some of which we could never have anticipated, we are invited to pause and thank God for leading us in roundabout ways to end up where we were meant to be, right here, right now, for his name's sake. God, we thank you for always leading us, even when we find ourselves on a troubled path or when we find ourselves caught up in an addiction, Lord, help us to trust that you're still with us, that you're still leading us. Ultimately, Lord, lead us into the heart and into the lap of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who knows us by name and calls us into his love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>